Hey, how's it going, New Hope? Great to see you. Glad to be back after a few weeks. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us for our online gathering. Every day, multiple times, we come to a, a fork in the road. Not a, not a literal fork in the road, but a place where we have to make a decision to go this way or this way. A lot of times, they're small little decisions that seem like they don't have a lot of consequence, but sometimes they're really large decisions that, that will shape the rest of our lives. We make decisions about how to spend our time, how to spend our money, uh, our relationships, family, friends, where to move, what kind of job to take. And sometimes, probably every day, we make significant moral decisions when we come to that fork in the road. There is a lot at stake. I like to say uh, the choices we make make us. I don't know that I've ever experienced a period of time in my life where I've had to make more important decisions with less information. It's, it's staggering. There's, like, there's, there's, there's no wisdom out there. I've been looking on Amazon for a book entitled How to Relocate a Church During a Pandemic. It doesn't exist. Or a book about how to do family life and how to do marriage with four people in a house and two dogs during a quarantine. It it doesn't exist. I, I sometimes I, I I was thinking about this quandary and was reminded of a scene uh, from the classic movie *Wizard of Oz*. Uh, check this out. That that statement that the scarecrow makes that that some people without brains do a lot of talking is 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 humorous, and I think we're in that situation where we're making these really important decisions. We're listening to voices of people that have very little expertise. If only we, we had an app or Siri could help us when we come to these important forks in the road and we have to make a decision. The gift is we have this book in our Bible called Proverbs, and that's exactly what Proverbs does. It helps us make wise decisions when we come to the fork in the road. It allows us and equips us to align our way with God's way. Today, we're starting a new seven-week series on Proverbs subtitled, How Not to Be a Fool. In the Hebrew scriptures, there's three main groups of people that are that are uh, that the scriptures focus on. There are the the prophets; they speak for God. They're the priests; they kind of stand between God and the people and do all the holiness, cleanliness stuff. And then there's this third group of people that don't get a lot of attention, and we we would refer to them as the sages. The sages, the sages, uh, they deal with everyday life kinds of decisions, the kinds that I've been talking about that, that we're struggling with. The sages are the ones who write our wisdom literature in the Hebrew scriptures, classically uh, the book of Ecclesiastes or Job or our book of Proverbs. Uh, no, not everybody can be a prophet and not everybody can be a priest, but anyone can be, can be a sage, and that's, that's really encouraging. Sages are, are, are men and women who, who are wise and experienced and they're, they're experts at living and they tell us how to live well. A brief layout of the book of Proverbs, it's, it's pretty simple chapters. We have an introduction that we'll look at today. We have chapters one through nine that encompass 10 speeches from a father to his young son. These speeches could just as much be for a mother to her young son or a mother to her daughter, but in this instance, they're a father to his young son. And then, and then chapter 10 through 29, if you read through them, there's just hundreds and hundreds of these sayings that we call Proverbs, and we'll talk about that. And then there's a couple chapters at the very end that conclude and wrap up this book of wisdom, uh, the last chapter about how to be a godly woman. Science, the, the art of science, 
tells us how things work in the material world. Uh, this substance is combined with this substance and it makes this substance. If you drop a, a brick off a roof, it falls. That's what science does. It watches and observes and sees patterns that are tried and true. Wisdom literature and the sages, they talk about what's true in the non-material world, the spiritual world, the moral world, the, the emotional wor world. Proverbs is, is using uh, our lives as the laboratory. Proverbs, as we read through it and we study it, it's looking out there and it's pointing out to examples like, look at that guy or look at that woman or look at that person. Do what they do or don't do what they do. Proverbs is trying to teach us to live well within the moral landscape that we exist within. Imagine a room, walking into a room, and that room is full of probably older and really experienced, really thoughtful, really wise and mature people, and they are there to provide counsel, to help us know which way to go. That's the book of Proverbs. It's like, think of it like a portable counselor that you can carry around with you to help you make good decisions. We're gonna start by looking at the introduction to this, this wisdom literature, this book of Proverbs, and that's found in Proverbs 1, uh, one through seven. And it's basically one sentence in the Hebrew uh, scriptures. So as we launch into this book and the introduction, pay attention. I'm indebted to my friend, Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, Hebrew scholar. He's taught me a lot about uh, the book of Proverbs. The introduction starts, the first verse, by telling us that, that we're about to read Proverbs. And that's kind of a weird term. What, what exactly is a proverb? A proverb are they're little sayings that are backed by a lifetime uh, of experiences. Imagine uh, that room of really wise and thoughtful people that we walk into again. A proverb, you would say it out loud, and that whole group of people would be giving a thumbs up and would be nodding and saying amen. They'd be like, that is true. We've all experienced that. That's a proverb. Here's a couple examples. This is from Proverbs 26, 17. These are kind of weird, but they're also really awesome. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. Okay, how did this, how did this get into the wisdom literature? What does this mean? Well, someone at some point went to grab a stray dog by the ears. Don't do that. And they probably got bitten. That same person at some other time got themselves involved in a fight, a quarrel between two people. And it felt like getting bit by the dog. And that person said, those two things are the same. And then the proverb entered in. Another proverb, this is uh, Proverbs 26, 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. We've experienced that. And this person who wrote this proverb at some point was watching a fire. They stopped feeding it wood and it went out. We've been there. We know what that's like. The same person saw what happened when someone stops gossiping. When the gossip is removed, the quarrel dies down. They said, that's the same thing and the proverb was born. Now these proverbs wouldn't be in our scriptures, we wouldn't know them if they were just true and isolated experiences, if just one person experienced them. They're there because this whole room of people and generation after generation after generation after generation said, yes, that's true. That's the way life works. Kind of like a scientist says, yes, the brick will fall off the roof if you drop it. Now what is a proverb not? This is really important because I think we, we have this conception of what Proverbs, how they operate and might work, and then we get disappointed. So let's talk about what a proverb is not. Proverbs are not promises or guarantees. 
Proverbs are generalizations. They're generally true. Uh, they will happen most of the time, but not all of the time. Here's an example. I've heard this from a lot of parents through the years. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. And all of parents come to me years later like, I raised my kid right, and they're out there doing God knows what. It's that kind of conversation. And they, they're, they're looking at the proverb as a promise, as a guarantee. Now, if we raise our children in the rhythm of Jesus and walking in the way of Jesus, generally, they will continue that. That's true but there are exceptions, not always. Think of uh, little proverbs, little sayings we throw around in, in modern settings. Uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, <laughs> not all the time. Sometimes it makes you like forget the person. Uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, not if you're allergic to apples. The best things in life are free. Not always. Sometimes free things are horrible and we don't want them. Uh, crime doesn't pay. Sometimes it does pay. So this is the idea. Proverbs, as we read them, let's gauge our expectations. Let's not enter into them as like guarantees and promises. They're proverbs. They will generally be true, but not always. Secondly, proverbs are not commands. Here's an example. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4 through 5. Follow closely and see kind of how disorienting this is if you take it as a command. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, should you answer a fool or should you not? It's saying the same thing. What should you do? If it's a command, it's confusing. But here's how we have to think about Proverbs. They're true in certain situations. Sometimes you answer a fool, sometimes you don't. And as we learn the way of wisdom, as we learn to live skillfully, that will play itself out. I have all these uh, cards to get discounts and points at different places, and sometimes I'll go to Safeway and I'll give them my Target card or I'll go to Target and give them my Safeway card. I'm just not watching or paying attention. They're like, wrong card, bro. And that's what happens when we live out the Proverbs in the wrong way. Sometimes a proverb works in this instance and it doesn't work in that instance. They're not commands, they're Proverbs. So the second line, we're told we're going to be introduced to a lot of Proverbs from Solomon, the son of David. We know that Solomon didn't write all of the book of Proverbs. Some of the Proverbs we had were written like 200 years after Solomon. They're given the names of other sages who wrote them, men and women. What's going on here is Solomon was this original wise person that launched the Hebrew scriptures, this idea of wisdom literature. So the whole movement is kind of attached to, to Solomon. Of course, he, he wrote some of them, but he didn't write all of them, but they all point back to him as their shaping influence. They're written in the tradition of Solomon. Who's the audience? We're told in this introduction as well. Look down, verses one through seven. The simple and the young. The simple and the young. These Hebrew terms, the simple means untaught. The phrase together, simple and young, mean the morally naive. So especially the first part of the book, but really the whole corpus of the book is written to someone who's young, maybe a child, someone who's impressionable. They're easily shaped. What is the purpose of the book? The introduction gives us that as well. It says in verse two, the purpose of the book is that we, us readers, would gain wisdom. That focus is, is all over the introduction. It's, it's mentioned four times. It's mentioned 30 times in the first nine chapters. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. What is this word? What is wisdom? And this is crucial. It's this term. The Hebrew word is hokmah. Hokmah. Say that. Go ahead and say that at home. Hokmah. Come on, come on. You got it. Hokmah. That's the Hebrew word. And it literally means a high degree of skill in really anything. Hokmah is used in the Hebrew scriptures for technical or artistic skills, skills in governing, skills in warfare. 
Hokemah is also an attribute of God. God is Hokemah. We're told that God used his Hokemah to create the world, and this is very important. As God used wisdom and his Hokemah to create the world skillfully, he wove Hokemah into all of creation, including all of us. Hokemah is just how things work. It's how the world's supposed to work. God wove in this kind of moral cause and effect. Think of it as this invisible force that we can't escape. We can't break from it. It's woven into the very fabric of creation. Hokemah in Proverbs is called Lady Wisdom. It's personified by this woman who will give these speeches, and all of you women out there should say, amen, of course, wisdom is a woman. The closest English equivalent to Hokemah might be the word expertise, expertise. And again, it could be applied to, to many different things. LeBron James has Hokemah on the basketball court. Yo-Yo Ma has Hokemah with a violin in his hand. Uh, Flannery O'Connor, any gifted writer, has hokmah with a pen in their hand. Hokmah in Proverbs, as we encounter it time and time again, means to live skillfully, to live skillfully. And it's not just the accumulation of knowledge, because we naturally think of it that way. It is that, but it's accumulating knowledge to then live out and practice in our daily lives. Uh, I would define it, or I've, I've seen it defined as aligning our way with God's way. It's a good definition of wisdom, aligning our way with God's way. Another concept to consider as we approach hokmah in Proverbs is it's not a destination. We don't get there and suddenly we're like hokmah and we're wise. Hokmah is always a journey. It's presented again and again and again as a path. That's why the fork in the path is a helpful analogy. Uh, Proverbs talks a lot about the fool. Next week, we'll talk a ton about the fool, but we want to introduce that idea. The fool in Proverbs is not probably what you would think. The fool is someone who refuses to align their way with God's way. They think that they know best. They're ignoring all those people in the room. They're ignoring lady wisdom. They're ignoring how things seem to work and are meant to work in the world, and they're doing it uh, their way. So again, and again, we're confronted in the book of Proverbs with that fork in the road. Will we go the way of wisdom, or will we go the way of the fool? That's why it's a helpful subtitle of the book. Proverbs is really about how to not be a fool. Proverbs wants us to know, as we get into it and we read it, that wisdom is so valuable. And let me let uh, the, the father speak here. The father says this, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all that you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. In this, the father, can you picture it? Just kind of close your eyes and picture it. The father's talking to his young children. The father's like, please, above all else, above all else, get wisdom. Just seek wisdom. What's the first step in getting wisdom? To get wisdom. He's like, sell everything you have and give it away to acquire wisdom. There's nothing more valuable. When I read that, I can't help thinking about my daughters as we have the stewardship and the grace to raise them. And I want, Corey and I want a ton for them, obviously. But as I thought about this, yes, 
I so want them to be wise. I don't want their heads to just be filled with knowledge of how, what we think. I want them to be equipped to live skillfully. I want them to come to the point and the fork in the road and know the way of wisdom, that it's ingrained in how they do life. And that's the heartbeat of the father. So the natural question would be, well, how do you get that? <laughs> if the father said, get it, sell everything and get it, how do you cultivate wisdom? And we'll spend the entire series talking about that. We're going to talk about lots of different subjects, friendship and, and money and, and leadership and all different types of things. But how do we cultivate wisdom? Let me lay out three general principles, and we'll come back to these again and again and again because they are woven throughout the book. So if you're saying, I, okay, you're convincing me I want wisdom, how do I do it? Step number one uh, is found in verse seven, the last verse of the introduction. And it's this verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is really the thesis of the entire book, the foundation of the way of wisdom. As the alphabet is, is uh, to writing and numerals are to math and notes are to music, the fear of the Lord is to wisdom. It's absolutely necessary. Now this is an odd phrase. When you hear the fear of the Lord, what do you think of? It's difficult to translate the Hebrew phrase accurately into the English language and have us understand it. It would be like if someone tried to translate some of our phrases like, like hit the books or face the music or go cold turkey. You try to translate that, that's just weird. Like what? So what is this phrase? What, when, we, when we hear fear of the Lord, we naturally think boogeyman, like we should be, we should be scared of, of, of God. And that's not what it means. Uh, I've been, uh, recently, I, I like to jump out and scare our girls. So I'll like hide behind the corner, hide in a closet and wait for them and be like, ah! and they're, ah! I tried that with my wife um, at the beginning of our marriage and that did not go well. So I've moved on to, to my daughters. That, that's not what this is. It's not like a fright, like that kind of fear. That isn't the beginning of, of, of wisdom. It's more a, a reverence or an, an awe. It's what, you, what comes over you if you're paying attention and you're standing on the shore looking out at the Pacific Ocean. Or if you're up high and you're surveying mountains as far as the eye can see and they're, they're snow covered. Or if you're on the, the rim of the Grand Canyon, or if you're out where there's no light and you're looking up at a clear night, it's that awe and that reverence that kind of takes your breath away. What happens in those moments is that we're right-sized. We, we realize who we are and that's what's happening in the sphere of the Lord. That, that's, that's happening within the phrase. That's what it means that we realize who we are. We realize who God is. Where fear might be a little accurate is, is the idea of when we come into relationship with God, there is a loss of control that probably causes some of us to be like, I don't know, because we're so used to being in control. Uh, there's this great conversation between Susan and, and Mr. Beaver and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And it goes something like this. Mr. Beaver's like, Aslan, who is the, the, the picture of Jesus in the books, Aslan, she, he tells her, is a great lion. And she goes, ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I'm not sure what I feel like to meet a lion. And Mr. Beaver laughs. And he's like, huh quite safe. No, but he's good. But he's good. And in that conversation, we feel this fear of the Lord. What, what she's meaning, is he quite safe? Is like, will I be able to stay in control? And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. 
And that's what it is when we come into relationship with God. We're right-sized. We're so small. We're made of dust. He is the God who created everything. Uh, the the uh, uh, Old Testament scholar John Walton, who's one of my favorite scholars, he says probably the best uh, uh, translation of the fear of the Lord is taking God seriously. Taking God seriously. I really like that. The first step in cultivating wisdom is to take God seriously. This fear of the Lord phrase, it's used 18 times in the book of Proverbs. It's the golden thread that runs throughout, and it forms what's called an inclusio, meaning it's right here at the beginning, and it's right at the end. It bookends the book showing us how important it is that we take God seriously. When I first moved uh, to Oregon, I had my dog, who, who may, may rest in peace, Elijah, who's no longer with us, and he was my hiking buddy, and we went out to Pacific City. Many of you are probably familiar with that spot, and we were told I wanted to hike, and there's like, go there, there's this big dune, and hike up it, which we did. And so we hiked up to the top of it, and then there's kind of this cliff area off to the right, and we wandered over there, and I was new to the area. I wanted to get a great picture for Facebook and social media, and there's this large rope and this sign, and it's massive, and it said, danger do not enter. And I've always taken those signs kind of like suggestions, not, not really like I can't enter. And so I look around this way and I look around that way. Elijah and I had a quick conversation. He's good with it. And we ducked under and we got right up to the side. That's foolishness. <laughs> That's not taking that side. Someone put that side up because they knew what they were talking about. Because likely many people have died by doing what we did. They didn't take it seriously and the sand gave way and they fell into the ocean. I was a fool then. That's kind of what's happening in this idea. To have the fear of the Lord is to take God seriously and to trust his way. There's going to be many times in the book of Proverbs where the danger sign comes up. And what we feel like is the right way, God's saying in this room of experience, wise people are saying, no, do not go there. If we disregard that advice, we're fools. If we take that advice, then we're wise and we live skillfully, and we have the fear of the Lord. We're taking what God says seriously. Why? Why take what God says seriously? It's a fair question. The psalmist says this, let all the earth, here's our term, fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Why fear the Lord? Because the same God created all those other things that caused all in us with with his words, the ocean and the Grand Canyon and the mountains and the universe, God crafted it all. God wove together me and you and designed life to work a certain way according to Hokmah. And if we take him seriously, we will walk the path of wisdom. We'll flourish. We'll find life. If we don't, we walk the way of fools and we find uh, death. Eugene Peterson in the message he takes this crucial verse, Proverbs 1, 7, this foundation of wisdom and says, the first step to learning is bowing down to God. I love that. That's another way of thinking of, of fear of the Lord, bowing down to God. It's not my will, but your will, because you're God. You created the heavens and, and the earth. The fool, Proverbs will tell us again and again, is wise in their own eyes. And that mindset of like, no, God, I got this. I think I'm going to go my way. I think I know better than you. Proverbs tells us that way leads to death. This all frames up maybe the most, the most memorable and known verses in the book of Proverbs, which are also foundational near this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make, here's the path imagery, your paths straight. Who are we trusting? 
when we come to the fork in the road and we have these really difficult decisions, are we going to go our way or are we going to go the way of God? Will we align our way with God's way? Uh, I go backpacking every year in national parks, and we get way, way back, 20, 30, 40 miles back. We'll go days and not see anyone. And there's many different trails, and it's vast wilderness, and it can be dangerous. And so we find our way with a topographical map, a map that shows the contours of the land. It shows exactly where you're at. So we'll get to places where we'll come to the fork in the road, and we're like, we don't know where we're at. Where's the trail we're looking for? Both of them look like trails. So we all stop. We take off our packs. We get out our top of a map. But what do you need to make a topo map effective? You, you know the answer to this. You need this one thing to make it effective, and that is a compass. A topo map, who cares if you have it if you don't know which way north is? Because as soon as you know which way true north is, then you can turn your map to orient to true north, and you know exactly which way to go. The fear of the Lord, this idea that I'm small and you're big and you're the creator of the heavens and the earth, that is true north. So as we begin to practice this this week, even today, even as you hear this message and you're, you're going to go in your day and immediately be confronted with many decisions, maybe a big one, the first step we think of is, am I going to take God seriously? Who, who has the primary voice in making this decision? Is it me? That's dangerous. Is it somebody from social media? Is it some podcaster? Is it my mom or my dad? Is it my friend group? Or is it God? Will we take God seriously and have him central to our decision-making? So secondly, uh, first, first step in cultivating wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Secondly, we must listen to wise voices. This is right in our introduction. In verse five, we're told a primary characteristic of wise people, people that are living skillfully, is that they listen. Proverbs 12, 15 says it like this. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise, what? Listen to advice. Wise uh, fools don't listen to advice. They just, they're their own counselor and they just do whatever seems best to them. Here's the secondary and really important question. Wise people, who should we be listening to? Listening is important, but who should we be listening to? Proverbs tells us that as well. In Proverbs 13, 10, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. We'll talk about this a lot more next week, but basically this is the principle. Wise people listen to wise people. Fools listen to fools. Part of my natural personality wiring as I've done personality tests is what's called a learner. I mean, everybody loves to learn, but I think something about how God made me, I just love to learn about random facts and random things. As many of you know, uh, a couple years ago, I got diagnosed with heart disease and it was staggering to know that and acknowledge that. But immediately, as I, as, as I kind of like grieved that and came out of that, said, okay, my life's not over. I can live a very long life, but I got to figure out what's going on. I got to figure out exercise. I got to figure out diet. And that learner thing was activated in me. So I deep dove on everything that I could find on, on healthy living when you have heart disease. And just imagine, I'm sure you can, Google, you know, advice for heart disease. Oh my, you get tons of advice. Whose voice do you listen to? Well, I chose quickly not to listen to the blog written by someone with no medical degree that live, is living in their, their parents' basement. I just started to disregard those things, and I began to listen to the people who actually had medical degrees, who, who uh, were exercise scientists and food scientists. I listened to my heart doctor who actually put something in my heart. So I began to like talk with him and ask his advice because who knows better than that? 
He's got the expertise. Here's the crucial thing, though. I begin to listen also to what he said. And so quickly, he's like, dude, for the rest of your life, you got to take an aspirin a day. Why? That seems random. A baby aspirin? I'm not a baby. Because study after study after study, he says, John, shows that that helps people with heart disease. All right. So I take an aspirin a day. Uh, I said, how about diet? What do I do? He's like, well, I'd probably quit red meat. That's, that's what the studies are showing. And adopt the only diet that science has shown thus far that's helpful for heart disease, and that's the Mediterranean diet. So I've done the best. I've stopped eating red meat. I'm doing my best to eat fish and all the things in the Mediterranean diet. And then I also encountered along the exercise track the idea of walking 15,000 steps a day, which is a lot of walking. And this came from this random study I found that was done of Scottish post people delivering mail in Scotland compared to people that sit on their couch. And they found the magic number of steps that actually made a difference with heart disease was 15,000. I told you I dug, dug really deep. So wise people don't just listen to any advice. They listen to the right advice, the people they should be listening to, the people who fear the Lord, the people who are living skillfully. Again, today, as we practice this, you're going to come to the fork in the road. You're hopefully not going to just go your own way and not take advice. You're going to listen, but who are you listening to? And we're going to go deeper into this topic next week, and your homework is to go ahead and write out or just think through who are your primary companions, who are your primary companions that you're listening to to give you advice? And just do that, and then we'll, we'll have some things to reflect on uh, next week. Finally, how do we cultivate wisdom? So we, we start with the fear of the Lord. That's foundational. That's true north. Secondly, we listen to wise people. But three, we must practice that advice. We must practice the way of wisdom. Um, I'm missing sports like you cannot believe. I think basketball starts um, a, a week, uh, a, about a week away. So I'm, I'm super excited. So desperate that, you know, the, the, the Nathan's annual hot dog eating contest is exciting. And that just happened. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's kind of gross, but it happens on the July 4th. And once again, Joey Chestnut, if, Chestnut, if you're familiar with him, won in resounding fashion. He's won 13 out of the last 14 uh, eating contests. And he broke another world record. He ate 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes and buns. I was going to show you a video, but it's really disgusting. And so I think there's a picture that will come up. Uh, trust me, you don't want to see the video. How did Joey do this? How does he eat so much food? I mean, he doesn't look that overweight. Like, it's, it's really impressive, if you could use that term. He practices. No joke. ESPN did a whole show on this. This is how desperate everybody is for, for stuff to watch. He practices. He, like, chews on this ball like he's a, a dog to, like, strengthen his jaw muscles. He has weights that he lifts with his chin. He does all these exercises. He practices. And as ridiculous as that may seem, it's a true principle. Anything we want to get good at at life, we have to practice. There's no shortcuts. Malcolm Gladwell famously said, to be an expert in anything, it takes 10,000 hours. This, if it applies to eating hot dogs and buns rapidly, it absolutely applies to the way of wisdom. We have to practice. You don't just have wisdom given to you at birth. It's not like a characteristic. You have to acquire it. Going back to the verse we read earlier, uh, Proverbs 13, 20, it says, here's the key word, walk with the wise. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. You and I, we have to actually walk it. The father tells the son later in, in a speech, he says, listen to my advice, but you also must walk my advice. You must live it out for yourself. 
And again, we can start today. When we come to that fork in the road and we have that decision, and it may seem like a small decision, but let's start practicing. It may be a big decision. You can certainly practice there. Will you go your own way? Will you take your own counsel and you'll be wise in your own eyes? That's the way of the fool. That's the way that leads to death. Or will you go the way of wisdom? Will, will you live skillfully? Will you fear the Lord? Will you listen to the God who created us and created how things are meant to work and say, yes, I acknowledge you and I trust you to direct my path. That's the way that leads to life. Uh, ask this question when you get to the fork in the road. Here's a tool for your toolbox. Andy Stanley calls this the best question ever. That might be hyperbolic, but it's a great question. And he says, it's this, what is the wise thing to do? It's helpful. I, I've returned to that question again and again in my life. When you're faced with a decision, what is the wise thing to do? We, uh, we've been introducing our girls during quarantine to all the movies that Corey and I love, and we have Rosenstill movie nights, and we just made our th way through all the Indiana Jones movies, if you're familiar with those. Corey and I love them, and maybe, maybe some of you don't like them. That's fine. But of the four movies, uh, my, my favorite is, is number three, Indy and his dad, The Search for the Holy Grail. I think that's by far the best of the four. And don't even like disagree with me. It's just not even much of a debate. So if you, if you picture that, that movie and the end of that movie, uh, his dad is injured, his dad's dying, and uh, Indy's trying to, to go through this obstacle course while he's reading this journal to get the cup that Jesus drank out of because it has healing powers appropriately. So he finally makes it to the room, if you're picturing the scene. And there's that like that old knight dude that's like been waiting there for a thousand years and he's so glad to see someone. And then bust in the mean Nazis guys as well because they want the cup too. And so do you, do you remember the scene? It's a great scene. And, and so the, the, the knight explains to them like, go ahead, grab one and there's some water to, drip, to, to dip it into and drink. If you choose the right one, it'll give you life. If you choose the wrong one, it'll kill you is basically what he tells them. And then he says, do you remember what he says to them? He says two words. He looks at him, he says, choose wisely. And the Nazi dude did not choose wisely and his face melted and all that. Indy chose wisely because he's Indiana Jones. And then he rushes and his dad's healed and, and, and it's great. Those two words sum up the book of Proverbs. Choose wisely because one path leads to life. The other leads to death. Here's Lady Wisdom. This is what Lady Wisdom says. This is a speech she's giving in the streets. Lady Wisdom says, now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to the instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. Today, you will come to the fork in the road. You will for the rest of your life. And here, here's, here's the deal. Most of those forks in the road are small little decisions. We think they're inconsequential. They're not because they add up. Those small little decisions every day, they, get it, they become habits. And those habits become lifestyles. And those lifestyles become our life. So whether it's a small decision or, or whether it's a large decision, when we come to the fork in the road, know that the choices we make make us. So choose wisely. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the book of Proverbs. I'm, I'm super eager and excited to get into it. I, I, as I said earlier, I've never been in a season of life where I felt the need uh, for wisdom more than I, I need now. It just seems like there's such a lack of wisdom. 
and to know that we have this wisdom literature, we have this room of men and women who have lived well and feared the Lord and lay out these proverbs and this pathway that show us which way to go is such a deep encouragement to me. And I pray it will be to our church as we enter into them, as we listen to these voices, as we fear the Lord, and as we practice it and we walk it out. Have mercy on us, God. Uh, Shape our lives and shape our community uh, through the study of this remarkable book. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.